Hello, and welcome to the Grand Cinema Hotel, a podcast hosted by three friends who love cinema. I'm Nathan, and I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Gus and Alvaro. Tonight, you'll be seeing in Room 112, Nightmare Alley, the latest film by visionary director Guillermo del Toro. So go ahead, get comfortable, and throw on that Do Not Disturb sign as we jump into Nightmare Alley. Is he man or beast? is going on all you carnies thanks for checking back into the grand cinema hotel as always we have a heater for you um guillermo del toro is back and he's back in all his glory (laughs) what up guys gus here uh glad that this one worked out i know with our most anticipated list we've been having some hits and having some misses but it was. I'm happy to report that the boys give this three thumbs up. Oh my god, Nightmare <laughs> Alley is what's up. What about you, Ro? Yeah, what's up, guys? Ro here. I'm really happy that this is one of my selections. Um, it. This I got. I was really satisfied with the result of this movie. It was. It was at least what I expected from it. But it, and the more I talk about it, I think it's like really, really good. So I know we're all GDT fans mm-hmm. overall, right? Where do you guys think this like ranks amongst his movies? Honestly, I think it's towards the top. Towards the top? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. I There haven't been a whole lot of his movies that I've seen that I haven't enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is definitely one that, yeah, I put it up towards the top. I, w- I was going to say I have a hard time guessing which is my favorite one. Yeah. Um, I might, it's probably between Shape of Water and Pan's Labyrinth. But if that's the case, um, those two in the front. And then I, see, I, I haven't watched Crimson Peak. Okay, I've seen everything but the first three. It's Kronos, Mimic, and The Devil's Backbone. Okay. You know what's I funny is that I, Kronos has been on HBO Max since it launched, and it's been on my watch list, and I've just never, never gotten around to it. No, it'd be like that. I have so many movies like that. <laughs> yeah, like um, I wouldn't say this is his best movie, but I, I, I mean, I think it's kind of obvious that uh, Pan's Labyrinth and The Shape of Water are yeah. better movies, and that I think Pan's Labyrinth is probably his best That's movie. My personal favorite is Pan's Labyrinth. My guilty pleasure one, even though I don't really like using that term because I don't feel guilty about liking any movie, <laughs> but uh, yeah, is uh, no, 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 Pacific Rim. That, oh, to, yeah, that yeah, to me is yeah. like when I first met you. Do you remember we used to watch that movie all the time? Just get blitzed and watch <laughs> yeah. Pacific Rim, and I'd be like, "This is tight." No, like, yeah, no, it's, it's cool. I used to recommend that movie to people. Like, I remember uh, one time when I was da- uh, dating my wife at the time, we were leaving the movies, and her cousin was entering the movies, and he's like, "What'd you see?" I was like, "Go see Pacific Rim." <laughs> That should change my life, bro. I love that movie. <laughs> the kaijus is such a sick. Hell concept. yeah, the Jaegers and the kaijus. Mm-hmm. Like, come on, man, that no, shit that is so cool. sick. Especially like when they're in the water and they're not even like knee deep in like the deepest part of the ocean. Like, How the fuck? What the fuck? They're catching the bottom of Mariana's trench. Like, so sick. Here, That's man. what I was excited for. What's the main actor from Sons of Anarchy? Oh, uh, Charlie, Charlie Hunnam. Hunnam. I, I, was, I always want to call him Jax. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, I, I was excited and like, oh, maybe he will be in more stuff. But that's the only. It always breaks my sense. heart that that universe never really worked out and that it was kind of taken out of his control. But yeah. it, he's moving on to doing better things. Obviously, I mean, after that, doing uh, what is it? Yeah, I mean, he did Crimson Peak next, The Shape of Water, Nightmare Alley. Like, so I, can, I think he took a turn for the better. Yeah, and I can say that's why this one I think is in my top ones. Though I think he was very ambitious. For trying this movie out, especially after The Shape of Water. Yeah. I think you have a lot of pressure to, like, come out with some heat. 
Like, Especially because some people really do not like the shape of water mm-hmm. and they try to generalize it into be like the fish sex movie, but it's definitely <laughs> not just that, you know? And just, I feel like his ability, I mean, the fact that it seems like Nightmare Alley, the original one mm-hmm. in the forties is beloved by a lot of, you know, it's film a cult classic. And, yeah. cinephiles. So just for him to kind of take this on, I, I thought it was really cool. You don't know 1947's Nightmare Alley? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> Drop that one in a conversation. Right. <laughs> um, I mean, I've seen. I'm I'm generally a big fan of his movies. I mean, Blade Two, Hellboy, right? That's Hellboy, so much fun. You like yeah, the Hellboy I ones? Do. Those are my nice. guilty pleasure. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the Hellboy movies. Um, so I think it's cool that he's just staying with that original like stories. That well, I guess this isn't original, right? But yeah. just making movies that he wants to see. I know I heard him in an interview say today, and I I have it quoted. Let me pull it up so I don't butcher it, but. He said, I want this movie to be the modern equivalent of the movies people complain about that they don't do anymore. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he it's really exactly what it did was. that. And this has been the year of that. Wes Anderson, Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, Edgar Wright, and now Guillermo del Toro. And I'm sh- I mean, there's been more, but these are really prominent directors who most film people are aware of. And they're definitely like taking those reins and being like, I'm not just going to conform to what people want. I'm going to make what I want. And that same interview, he's talking about how he wanted to challenge himself after The Shape of Water because they asked him, like, well, does this make you have pressure to, like, have to do something better than The Shape of Water? And he's like, no, it makes me be more ambitious. Like, I covered, like, look, my best monster movie has awards. So now I have to go somewhere else. He conquered else. monster movies. He conquered it. Yeah. And, like, now I have to go somewhere else. And I think me as somebody who's biased to noirs, like, I just like noirs. Just, like, those feeling that they have have a lot of points of what makes this movie a noir later. But... I think he he really did make you feel. And I think I told you guys walking out like I haven't seen a movie like this done in recent times in a while. And it's because the noir is very slow, and people don't like that. But I think he did an incredible job. I do think that this film is kind of right up our alley. Um, hey, hey. <laughs> no pun intended, or maybe it was. I don't know. But uh, I am just thankful that these directors are kind of you know taking a air quotes risk in making these movies because you know like we talk about it seems like. Either it's either Marvel movies or small indie movies that kind of hit nowadays, and these middle of the ground movies that directors are kind of taking risks on don't hit. Do but. any of you guys happen to have the budget on hand, or can one of you guys look that up I really quick? Um, what I wanted to show you, Rose, because you were talking about like the feeling noirs give you. It's this. Uh, it's just this picture from The Simpsons that I'm sure a bunch of people have seen. But when I think of noirs, I always think of this. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Right. What about you, Nate? I'm sure you've seen this picture before, right? Yeah, I always exactly. think about this. It's the guy wearing the trench coat in the shadow with the cigarette, right? And without <laughs> trying to get into it too fast, like, how many scenes was was Stan not smoking in? Oh yeah, right. <laughs> like every scene it started with him lighting up a cigarette almost. <laughs> like, yeah, or like cigarette. doing really hard work and like with the cigarette in your mouth or something <laughs> yeah. like that. That always, that always makes me laugh. Noir. Yeah. No, 19.4 million dollar budget. Bad. Really? That, that's surprising because it, it feels way bigger it's than less that, than I right? thought it was going to be. Yes. I was expecting more like maybe 50-60. Man, the last duel was 100 million. I know. And and then things like movie. Eternals and like other bullshit like that costing 200 million and not, for it to not even look as good as this. This movie is fucking gorgeous. Yeah. We were talking about this right now off mic, and my only the only thing I would have to say that about like the visuals and all that that I don't really care for is that it looked a little too polished. But I that's just what Guillermo del Toro does. Like his movies, if they're anything and you don't agree or like them, is that they're beautiful. They're you can't really say good. you can't say that they're not. Mm-hmm. Um but I thought maybe if, I mean, unless I'm incorrect, I really don't think I am because of how sharp it looked, is that this had to be shot on digital 
but I wish it could have been shot on film on because film. of the like the themes of this movie and like the dark underbelly of America. Mm. I know he said he referred to this movie like it's not the the reason it's a nightmare is because it's not the American dream. It's the opposite it's of the totally American yeah. dream. Nightmare. So I really thought if it was on film that that would have added to the just like to the general theme of the In movie. The feeling you know? to it, yeah. Yeah, like the feeling that you get when you watch it. I'm Especially not, when we watch something like Licorice Pizza. Yeah, you know what I mean, exactly. and that really helped there, give you that. There like, was this extra scene, push. Yeah, there was a scene towards the end of the movie in the third act. It was when they're out in the snow and the snow's kind of blowing around. And when we were watching, I was like, "Fuck!" I was like, "If this was film right now, this would be like one of the coolest shots I've ever seen." I feel if you like. haven't seen the trailer, imagine Jack Torrance running through the snow and in, in the maze in The Shining, mm -hmm. right? It's mm -hmm. so like something like that. Mm -hmm. And we all know how beautiful that looks. Exactly. So I know that Guillermo del Toro. I mean, it's not that he made a wrong decision. Of course, it's a personal choice, but I would have loved to see this on film. Yeah. I know they're going to be showing it in black and white in L.A., and no. that has my interest. That would be really cool. Yeah, we might have to make a field that's trip a noir, to go see that. You know? yeah. like, that's yeah. what makes it a noir. That's like when they showed Logan mm. in yeah, black, and, black white. and white. Like, that makes it a, like, I've never seen that, and I've always wanted yeah. to. I, I think it's kind of hard to find, but. I've really been interested in seeing Logan in black and white. Something that I thought was really cool about, like, our actual trip to see this movie was we got to see it, like, you know, a day early. That's true. Early yeah, screen, right. And Guillermo del Toro had, like, a little three or four minute kind of, like, uh, just talking to the audience and just saying that he was super thankful that people were able to see this. And uh, just kind of, you know, explaining that this is a very classic movie. He had a lot of fun making it. And he was super excited to see people's reception to it. I was just like, ah, that's so cool. You know like, what you know I what thought mean? was funny, though, is that he said, I wish I was there with you right now. I know. Yeah. Like, like, you want to be everywhere all at once? I was like, is he going to come out? I was like, <laughs> yeah. I know. I thought about it for a second. I was like, ooh. Yeah, yeah. I was like, this would be sick. I wish I was here with you guys. So I am. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> you know how they always have, like, that curtain under the screen? Yeah. It comes rolling out of there. Yeah, exactly. I'm here. <laughs> So, I think it's time we dive into Let's the movie, get into it, yeah. right? Okay, so Nightmare Alley, written directed by Guillermo del Toro. It's co-written with Kim Morgan, which not to be TMZ about it, but that's his uh, partner now, right? Yeah. So, and they've worked together on Shape of Water. I'm not sure if they worked together before that, but I don't hey, remember. they work really well together. Yeah, I we, think we did touch on that. Damn it, Nate! I'm so no, sorry. I'm just kidding. No one probably heard that. <laughs> um, because we did touch on that in our most anticipated. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because this is based off of a, a book that was written in 1946. That yes, was by William Lindsay Gresham. Exactly. And he did mention that in the early access he thing. He did. And then obviously they had they made a movie in 1947, so this is a remake of that. Which is a really loved movie. Like to be on in the Criterion Collection. Oh, or, yeah. yeah. You know that means I mean? you're one of the quote-unquote the best exactly. movies. And uh, an interesting thing that I had uh, saw in one of the reviews I had read, I think it was by Adam Naiman. Shout out him. I really uh, like the way he talks about movies is that uh, Kim Morgan did a write-up for the movie when they did the Criterion Collection. She kind of did like an essay on it. And I mean, he was, he was kind to the movie, but he didn't think it was as good as we thought it was. So he said, it, like when you think about the fact that she uh, is so in love with the first one and then to kind of just like miss the mark when you're actually remaking it, even though I don't personally feel that way, but that is how some people feel about the movie. It's like the first one was so good and that this one, it's like, it's almost like you missed the point of the movie in the first place. Mm. Interesting. But I, I wonder how close it is to the source material. Like which one is closer to the source right. material? I, I, I am very curious. I know we've been talking about, about seeing, you know, the original movie. So yeah, I joked that I was going to watch are. it before and yeah. totally just ruin it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I'm happy that we didn't because like we, like I know we were talking about what really excited me about this movie is there seemed to be a big mystery going into mm -hmm. it. Like it is noir. There is some sort of, you know, something that we're not sure about. And 
it went in a total different direction than I thought it was going to mm-hmm. go. And I know he had joked about, you know, I hope it doesn't turn into like maybe a love story or something, which it, you know, there, it touches on that. But uh, I was super satisfied with it. Really yeah, liked it. Yeah, definitely. So, hold on. Pulling up my notes one more time. Um, talk I think we have to talk about... What, what was that? No, I was like, wait, what did you want to move oh, on Oh, I want to start talking about the cast. Because yeah, the cast, cast is incredible in exactly. this movie. I mean, Bradley Cooper is on a heater this year with his performance in Licorice Pizza and this performance. And they're so different. So it just shows you how versatile he's willing to be. I'm officially a stan. (laughs) Here we go. What's up with the dad jokes in this, in this podcast? (laughs) I get, I don't know why Guillermo del Toro is bringing this out of us, but, uh, you know, you know what I thought was funny? Why didn't he do his Rocket Raccoon voice? That's what I would prefer. (laughs) Talk like this. Yeah. Um, yeah, my hands don't scan. <laughs> like a California adventure. Uh, I thought he was phenomenal in this movie. I thought he absolutely I thought the best it. thing that they that they had going for them is that he played against his type. I mean, Bradley Cooper is this handsome movie star. He's charming. He's likable. And in this movie, he really does his best to make sure you do not feel that way about mm-hmm. him. <laughs> Complete, completely different than what he usually plays. And what I, what I really enjoyed about his character in this movie is... When it starts, he's very, he doesn't say much. He's quiet. You kind of don't really know about who he is or what's he's going mysterious. on. Exactly. And then as the film progresses, you see him like break out of his shell and just completely change as a person. Or maybe not change, but just expose who he really is, I guess. This so. might sound like a, like an obvious criticism, or not criticism, but like an obvious thing is that I, the way he interacts with every character in this movie, I feel like it really builds. Like mm-hmm. it's not there. None of them are really useless interactions. Every, every, every person he talks to a little more is revealed about him mm-hmm. than, you know, before, because there's so many layers to him and you don't really find out who he is until about like two thirds into the movie. You find out like what he did, why he's on the run, you know, he, he's a very ambitious dude. So he makes certain decisions where you're not sure if like how to take them, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? There's one thing in particular, I, no spoilers. You guys want to do no yeah, spoilers? Yeah, I think we kind of okay. keep it on the no spoilers Yeah, there's side. one thing he does in this movie that really you, you're questioning all the way until the end is if it was on purpose or not. Right. Mm-hmm. And I know we all kind of feel a little differently about whether it was on purpose or not because of kind of who he devolves into throughout the film. Right. But, yeah, I, I'm, I guess so I'm getting kind of getting off track. But I just thought that the way he interacts with every character, how it just a little more is revealed about him. I would completely agree. I was going to say um, the research that I was doing, Bradley Cooper said this is his hardest part that he's ever had to do. He said he felt the most pressure. Um, Why I think that you feel that way is that Guillermo del Toro was saying that he wanted to make this film like noirs were back in the 1930s. So he wanted to make Cooper feel like the star, like how they were. Yeah, I think I saw what you were talking about. So everything from the the setting to the interaction with every character, he's in 99% of every scene in this movie. I don't think he's... I don't think he's in any, he's not in any scene. Like he's in every shot of this movie. I didn't even think about that. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, So that's what makes it a noir. Like he is the main, everything revolves around him. And even like, I don't think this gives out too much, but like when he walks into the devil's head. Oh yeah. That's Mm -hmm. in the, that's in the trailer. In the trailer. Yeah. yeah. And like just stuff like that, like where he's positioned. And that's where I think the visionary part of Guillermo del Toro hits more because he's so aware of the setting that you're going to put him in, and he builds these sets. He said he built every set that's around right, That's him, what I really wanted right? to talk about, was the set building in this yeah. movie. Yeah, and um, there was another point I wanted to make on the... Oh, before we had started talking, because I, I think 
you you might know some of this or you might looked into it but like gdt is really known for he'll storyboard his stories months before yeah. even any of the like people Hitchcock. making the sets. Mm-hmm. So on, I was watching one of his interviews and he was showing the book that he did for this one and he has the drawing of the baby. Oh, like okay, that, yeah, there's, a, there's he's like, like a, what do you call them, like pickled babies? <laughs> that's, that's, that's what it's called. That's what yeah, it's, yeah. it's pickled something. And yeah. it's just, uh, he's like, I don't, this is the movie he didn't put monsters on. There's no backbone of a monster. But he's like, I had to put that in there. Of course. Got to give us a little touch, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. No, yeah. The, the sets were the car, like the, in the first, you know, first act of the movie takes place in this, you know, carnival that travels from city to city. And just the carnival itself and the set pieces that they build, I just thought were so cool. There's one scene where they, like you were talking about, he goes in this, like, it's like a hell, like a hell house maze type thing, like a carnival maze. And it, I don't know, that's, that set was so cool. To that's me. where I think what you're talking about, that being filmed in, in film would make it really gritty, would make the shadows a lot darker. I haven't. Um, looked into it too much, but I've seen, there's a, I don't know which Hitchcock movie it is. It's a black and white one. It's one of his old, like, I know they're all old, <laughs> but it's one of his like oldest Older ones. ones yeah. And he did, uh, that movie had set design with Salvador Dali, I, I believe. And there's a, there's a, uh, like a dream sequence where like, I think it's a woman is like walking and there's all those eyes around her. Like there is in oh, that shot of so like when cool. the devil's mouth opens and then it's this room that just has like a bunch of different eyes looking mm-hmm. at you. And I know that GDT yeah, absolutely loves Hitchcock. Yeah. Like he's written books on Hitchcock and um, I know he's taught classes about Hitchcock and stuff like that. And I, I, this might be the closest he's gotten to doing like something like that so far. I would say so. I mean, like, like we were talking about earlier, like he really was focused on, monster movies like pacific rim like big movies and this was kind of honed in on people yeah and i feel like that's what hitchcock is really good at is like you know revealing the the dark nature of humans and what humans are really capable of doing and that's what this movie was there are no monsters except you know the humans yeah i want to bounce off that because that's the thing that this movie why it belongs to gdt's repertoire so every movie before there's a monster but there's the common theme and this one follows it is that the the ugliest monster in the movie is man yeah and this movie is without the backbone of fantasy that he always likes to bounce off on so that's why i think he's ambitious for trying it this way it's more based on the psychology of the characters and what it is to like i would say this movie is almost like the pursuit of happiness. It questions what a person will do for, like, morally right or wrong will do for the pursuit of happiness. Yeah. And I think that's why I enjoy this movie. It's like, it's his, his themes are still very present, but they're presented in a different way. It's like, how far will you go to, Mm -hmm. yeah. Because usually his whole thing is, like, humanizing monsters. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, like, not showing how beautiful they are, which kind of carries into this movie, too, with, like, the world being ugly, but him still making it beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's, Let's get back to the cast because I know we kind of got off. We started talking about like just him in general yeah. right there and just like the set design and stuff like that. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Um, should we talk about them in order of like how he interacts with them? Because like that, it would be Bradley Cooper and then we'd get we'd get to talk about Willem Dafoe, which is like killing it this year Dude, as know, always. Man. He's such a magnetic screen presence. When he's on the screen, you just know like, okay, this is some good ass acting. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, who was it? It may have been Dan Merle. Shout out Dan Merle. He's one of my favorite uh, reviewers. He was saying, or was it Chris Stuckman? (laughs) Anyways, one of my favorite uh, two YouTube reviewers. I'll just say the point is that uh, they had said that it's almost as if 
he was like such a similar character to his one in the lighthouse that if this took place like maybe 30, 40 years later, this is what that guy would be doing maybe. instead of being like a lighthouse guy. Mm. He would just be this like evil ass dude who like takes advantage of like weak men. <laughs> you know Suspect what I mean? Because fuck, yeah. that is what he does in this movie. He's a, he's the leader of the carnival. Mm-hmm. He runs the geek show, which is like, what a horrible thing. Horrible. Right. Yeah. Um, the only thing I've ever seen, the only way I've really ever seen that portrayed before is like the elephant man. Yeah. Right. Agreed. Um, but his name's, his name's Clem and he's the leader. He gives Stan a job and he goes to great lengths to entertain people. And he's a dark side to him, including, and I wrote, and including taking World War One veterans off the street and giving them opium-induced alcohol that turns them into beasts. Yep. Like, that's how far this guy's willing to go just to give somebody a good show. He, to him, people are disposable. Like, yeah. He really and does you not really care. get that. I get speeches from you him. You know, we're talking about the pickled, the pickled baby. Mm-hmm. I mean, that just goes to show you how disposable people are. Yeah, he really just doesn't <laughs> yeah. care. Like, he just, he cares about making a buck. But he, uh, he's actually, I'm not going to say he's like a good guy, but... He takes Bradley Cooper in and he gives him a job and he helps turn his life around. Not that he necessarily deserves it the more you learn about right. him, but But yeah, we do see the He puts him on a path and that's like the whole point of his character, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. And then we have who does he meet? He meets uh Rooney Mara. Rooney, yeah. Yeah, she plays Molly, Molly Cahill. She's a fellow carny. She does like an electric woman act. It's pretty cool. They call her Electra. Yeah. Yeah. You know what it reminds me of? You know when like you were a kid and you would go to someone's house and they have like that electric ball That's and you exactly put your hands on it? Exactly. I was always so scared of those things. Yeah. I was like, there's no way that doesn't shock you. <laughs> <laughs> but she has that act. And the one thing I'll say about the cast in like a negative way is that I thought her character didn't get enough to do. I was going to say that I think she was completely underutilized. Yeah. And it it doesn't have anything to do with Rooney Mara herself. I just think it's the way the character was written. And I guess it makes sense when you, in the context of the movie, but when you have an actress like Rooney Mara, I think you should use her as much as possible. Because that is my biggest complaint of the movie is I felt like second act when, I mean, I don't think this is a big spoiler, but her and Bradley Cooper have a relationship. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I, I think they could have you know, explored that a little more. Like it felt like, okay, they're just together because like they're together. You yeah. Know what I mean? It felt I, a little I did empty. think that the movie kind of had that vibe to it where, and I think, yeah, Guillermo del Toro said he's like in certain noirs or in older movies, people fall in love and then they don't even question it in the movie. You're just like, okay, they're in love and then the move on. The story right. moves on. It's not about why they fall, fall in love or how. Because this movie, it, you're you're totally right. It was not about that. Like, it really didn't, that didn't play a huge part in it. But I think if maybe they would have done a little more, it could have gone even further maybe. But, you know, yeah. not a big detriment to the movie. But I did think she gave a good performance. I just think, I think her so character too. didn't have agency. I think She yeah. was going along for the ride, really. She wasn't, she wasn't a mover or a shaker. You know what I mean? She wasn't making her own moves. She was just going along with Bradley Cooper. She was flying by his coattails the, for a while. Yeah. I found an interesting anecdote from her when they were filming this movie with her. So they had to stop production in the middle because of COVID. Did she get right? COVID or something? No. So when they recorded like the first half that they had done, you know, when and this isn't giving out too much, but he's chasing her in the train station. Yeah. And so remember, she goes through a door. Mm-hmm. So Guillermo del Toro was saying that they recorded her going like opening the door and then like going through it. They cut. Right. Mm-hmm. And the six months passed. But then Rooney Mara came up to her like after the like after that scene, he's like, don't tell anybody, but I'm pregnant. So then when she came back after the six, at the six months, cause I guess she was like four months pregnant. So she had had the baby. She was like, so she was pregnant when she went into the scene. Then when we recorded again, she is not pregnant. Oh, shit. <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> I think it's crazy that these movies could shut down for so long and then pick right back up and it not 
not a negatively affect the movie. Seamless really. almost. I think yeah. actually he did like comment on that, and I think this is why is like he's like I edited the first part of what I did have in the movie, and he's like, and I had stand footage from the beginning to the end, so I knew where we were starting and where I wanted to end. So then I edited everything, and I was like, okay, what do I need? And I think that might have helped. You know how you, you know? were saying about the storyboards? Mm-hmm. I think just like Hitchcock, it's like right, when you know what you're what you're gonna do and you're sold on it, like this is how we're gonna go about this. It's that preparation of like I don't have any second guesses. Like Hitchcock used to say, I already made the movie. I just need to no, get the actors to do it. Right. But the movie's already made. I know how it's gonna end. You know, and I just think it's cool that the production well, it's not cool that the production shut down, yeah. but <laughs> it's cool that it picked up so seamlessly and it doesn't affect the movie at all. It doesn't feel like it's two parts. I legit, I didn't know that. I would have never known that. No, yeah. You could have never think that's that. what makes him that's a good director. Yeah. yeah. That's what makes him a good director. The last thing I want to say about her, actually, before we move on, is that I think the uh, part of her character is to be like a moral compass for Stan because he right. obviously doesn't have one. Um, but ultimately, she fails. Because she, she, <laughs> yeah. yeah, she does give him options to kind of, you know. Do the right thing and he, no you know, spook shows. Yeah, he's just he no doesn't. Yeah, shows. and spook shows <laughs> takes us to our next two characters. Mm-hmm. is Tony Collette and I, his name. Oh my god! I'll probably get his name wrong, but it's Peter like Strahan. Strahan. It's it's David. Strahan, David Strahan. and then yeah, played Tony by, Collette. Uh, um, yeah, and Tony Collette. Pete is his name. His, in the his movie. character is Pete. Pete is that's movie. It, yeah. So they play Pete and Zena, and they're mentalists who teach. Bradley Cooper, the ways of his act. I really like their their chemistry together. That was I my really complaint, them. is that Tony Collette doesn't have more time. Yeah. She always deserves more she time. Does. And she got robbed for her meditation. She should have won Best <laughs> Actress. <laughs> she should have. But, uh, no, I really liked um, David as Peter in yeah, this movie. I thought he sweet. played a really good role. Um, super, he is probably, honestly, the most important part to what unfolds in True. this movie. He kind of opens the door for Bradley Cooper and Bradley Cooper takes advantage of that. Um, it's just cool. I really like He follows character. a, like we find out that Stan has a problem with older men and unfortunately for Pete, <laughs> he's an older man. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> but uh, he teaches, they teach, they teach uh, Stan like his act and they kind of tell him like this, they have like a book that they use where like they re- this like ingenious code of like how to read people like he and created how it, to make yeah. it seem like you're actually like a psychic or something mm-hmm. like that. And they tell him like this book has power and it's dangerous. And if you use this the wrong way, like you're really going to fuck some people up. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the themes of this movie is how you can take advantage of people. Exactly. Kind of similar to Benedetta. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it kind of plays into, I mean, you this, this man is broken at this point, Peter in this movie, like he's, he's a drunk, he's an alcoholic and he's, it, it seems like he's falling on harder times. His best days are behind him. Exactly. Zena's trying to get him to stop because there's a commentary on the movie that like everybody knows that she doesn't want anybody to give him more alcohol. And there's we get a scene where he's begging Willem Dafoe's character to be like, "Come on, just one more." And Willem's like, "All right, but just don't tell Zena that I gave you some." And it's because he's well he's well liked his character he too is. throughout the whole circus. I think that. Um like I was saying, just going back to, you know, the fact that he is a drunk and stuff, like you said, I, it does show that there's power to this book and this might be the result of what happens when you play with this power. Yeah. So. And maybe that's why he turns like the the old man is an alcoholic is because all these years of fucking people over and lying to people, mm-hmm. you know, it probably starts to get at you. And we see how it we see how it turns out for yeah. mentalists, which is not good. Yeah, that's such an old timey thing, right? Mentalism. Yeah, imagine thinking, like, wow, people must have been so stupid. Yeah, I know. Sorry, guys. <laughs> no, I mean we get shown in the movie just how like how easy it is, it's just dumb. It's it's not like it's we get our little. It's just a circus trick. 
for a reason. I think I think they even say in the in the movie like people fool themselves. Like mm-hmm. people yeah. want to believe and they want they lean into it. Which is almost. why we get the term spoof fest. Be like, don't like give people fo- like false hope. Like it's just a show. But oh, you don't. know what? There's a line in the movie that's really good, and it's like, isn't this lying to people? And it's like, well, it's only lying if you give them hope. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's no hope exactly. there. Like that's a lie. Sometimes it is good to comfort someone, like a small white lie, but... He said, what's the difference between what we do and what we priests do? Yeah, oh yeah, that is what he says. I think one of the cool parts of the movie is... I mean, the main part of the movie, honestly, is you have, you know, this mentalism aspect, and the Peter character is saying, like, he did small things, like, what what's in my hand? What am I holding? And they kind of, like, play off that, and he says, you know, you don't want to, you know... You don't want to get into the whole, like, let's talk to dead relatives, like, all that kind of stuff that gives people, like, these false hopes. and Seances. Exactly. And like the, Talking to the dead. The type of stuff that can really get you into some weird places, and that's kind of where Bradley Cooper and him split. Because there's, like, proof of, like, if you connect with them and they want to see you after, just tell them the truth. Like, hey, like, what, like, just try to get them off you. Like, it's an act, buddy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. He resonated with you for a reason, but it's just an act. I don't have too much to say about this guy, but we ought to mention Ron Perlman. Yeah. Yeah. He's there. He's a collaborator of <laughs> yeah. Guillermo del Toro. So whether the role is big or small, kind of like how Samuel L. Jackson will do anything for Quentin Tarantino, mm-hmm. I feel like Ron Perlman is the same thing for Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, and he—I mean—he didn't add anything crazy to the movie, I don't think. But I mean, it's good to see his face. Yeah, I always like seeing him. I mm-hmm. think I think what he they did help. I don't know the actor of the short the shorter character. He's like they were part of Rooney Mara's family, you know, and it yeah. just shows kind of like what you were talking about moral compass, like. They're ready to protect her. They're good people. They they care for Rooney Mara's character. A lot of the people at the circus do. They can s- smell Stan's bullshit from mm-hmm. a mile away. He's, he tells them, like, I knew, I knew her dad, and, like, I don't think her dad would fuck with you, basically. Because, yeah, he, he sees the red flags before maybe even we do. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's just a father figure for her, mostly. Mm-hmm. But he he's not, like, anything too crazy. He's not really part of the plot or anything like no, that. But no. it's just nice to see him. It is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I always like seeing him in the... In GDT's work, uh, I like him as the problematic, to say the least, character that he plays in. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> is he Mr. Chow or whatever in Pacific Rim? He's oh. like all decked out in the Asian oh, gear. Oh, like, yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> Dude, I did too. What yeah, you're wow. Right. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> but I, that's a funny role. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, it really is. I mean, funny in a weird way. I mean, now looking back on it, you're like, Ish, it's kind of, hmm. I don't know. I don't know if you do that again, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like the homie from uh, uh, Licorice Pizza. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so After this, we get Kate Blanchett. We get Kate Blanchett, and we get um, Richard Jenkins. But the reason we get this is because, and, and it's in the trailer, so it's not really giving too much away, but that Rooney Mara and uh, Bradley Cooper start their own act. Mm-hmm. And a cool, interesting little fun fact I learned about that is that he starts to go by the great Stanton. And then if, you, uh, if you've if you seen The Prestige, which I know we all have. I great movie. Love that great movie. Fucking That's movie. probably one of my favorite it's, Christopher Nolan movies. Yeah. Um, he goes by the great Danton, Hugh Jackman's character. And it's a direct like homage to the original Nightmare Stanton, Alley. Danton. So there you go. Even Christopher Nolan likes that movie. It's like cool. everybody likes the original movie. Yeah. People like to take from it. Um, That's cool. Yeah, it just goes. It's just that film language that you start to see over in movies again. I did really like Kate Blanchett's character. In this. Oh yeah, well, yeah. Oh, we're oh, gonna well, get to her yeah. right now. Yeah, um, she is amazing. She's beautiful, beautiful in this yep. movie. She's like a perfect 
classic femme fatale. So yeah, yep, perfect. That's I, what I was she's say. so powerful in this movie. The way that uh, Bradley Cooper's character pays homage to males in old cinema, she's the equivalent of femme fatale homages to the noir. And genre. she might be even more dangerous than Stannis. What, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like what I loved. I mean, I, I honestly, I know you and I talked about a row, but I, she was my favorite character in this movie. For sure, I loved her. I mean, everybody phenomenal. Bradley Cooper phenomenal, but Kate Blanchett, I just loved her. She knocked it out of the park. But um, you just get like, there's a scene where she is. A, she's a psychiatrist in this movie, a doctor. Um, and she's, you know, she's kind of breaking down Bradley Cooper. She wants him to open up and she's like, you know, let me read you kind of thing. And at the time, like he's this, you know, he's has this mentalism power and he thinks that he can, you know, he has his power. Over he's on people. top of the world right exactly. now. Exactly. And then you just watch her like dissect this man and bring him back down to, you know, bring him back down to earth. I just thought, I love that. And scene. one of, one of the videos I watched like behind the scenes type of stuff is that she is like for Stan and, uh, Vice versa, is she an adversary? Is she a lover? Is she an opponent? You don't. Is she know. a partner? Like you know what I mean? Like they play so many different roles for each other. Like it, they play off each other in so many different ways. And it's not like that changes scene by scene. That changes like sentence by sentence. Yeah, which I just think is so cool. She really knows how to wield her. Like if you think Stan knows how to wield people's minds, she really knows how to. Yeah, <laughs> like she. Yeah, she is. And from the beginning, she's she's there to disprove him that he's not really who he says he is because i mean obviously he's not come on right you can't really <laughs> <mind's broke>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the dynamic between her and bradley cooper's character i think is what it makes both of their roles excel i was looking at um gdt talk about the scene where they first meet and like and he's in his own stage and she gets rudy Mara's character to stop talking because she's catching on that it's just the way the that coded language but this is where his like director style why people love working with gdt but he's like he he made it like a a battle literally because Bradley Cooper's character is standing and he starts moving around the whole the whole room kind of like how a tiger would with another tiger mm-hmm. and it's but he's like but I'm trying to get it to where you're confused is this who is superior or is this also a love dance like also who is in command of this conversation and that's why Stan's like walking around her just like how an animal would prey on another one and i just thought stuff they're like that is really up. cool mm-hmm. they're sizing and each that's other what that, that's what that op- that first scene with them really is yep and then just like he takes the dominance in that scene by guessing what she has in her bag without any help it's yeah. proving to her i am better than you think i am but in the long game we obviously see otherwise one of the main uh themes between those two characters is a line that's in the trailer is about uh how what does he say um he's like people are easier to read than you think and like Mm -hmm. that's kind of like the main point of those two characters like that's their common bond both of them is that people are easier to like they both know how to like manipulate manipulate and and dissect people yeah yeah and that's kind of why they have that like is it attraction is it like um an adversarial thing yeah and you I mean, it, it plays out the way it does, which is fucking awesome. Because they do really peacock for each other, yeah. which is cool. Yeah, they're the, the two best performances. Like, those two really carry this movie. And in my personal opinion, the movie takes off when Kate Blanchett shows up. Yep. I agree. She's, I would, I would argue to say that she's just as much a star of this movie as Bradley Cooper is. Yeah. She, for sure, those two are leaps and bounds above everybody else. Like, they, they <laughs> when they had their little brain blast of creativity, it was going to those two characters yeah. for sure. Those are the leads, I would say. She has yeah. significantly less screen time than him, but definitely. Those oh, she leads. wields it though. She That's does. a powerful time. I know. 
That's yeah. like the time that she does have. It, she commands the, the screen. screen. And just going back to like talking about the set design and everything, her fucking office, like her psychiatrist's oh office was so well done, I thought. Let's talk about Richard Jenkins and then we'll get into set designs right, and stuff like damn. that. Because okay. Richard Jenkins is the I like main him too. Anta- antagonist he's, of this He's movie, killing guys. it right now too. Yeah, he's killing it right now. Always. Yeah. Richard Jenkins is always killing yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the humans, and he was in Nightmare Alley, obviously. He was in The Shape of Water, mm-hmm. and I feel like that was a really great performance for him he as well. He did a really good job. Yeah, that. I really liked him in that movie. Um, his name is Ezra Grindel, and they never really get into too much of who he is, but he's a powerful man in Chicago, and he wishes to speak to his long-lost illegitimate lover who he, Never mind. <laughs> his long-lost illegitimate <laughs> lover, right? Yeah. Like, that's as far as I'm going to go with that. So, yeah, <laughs> comma, period. <huh>? <laughs> <laughs> um, and Kate uh, Blanchett's character introduces her. Or introduces Stan to him and like, ah, can I really say? It's, you know, I don't know. He's a powerful man and he's seeking Bradley Cooper's for his skills. ability, right? Yeah. And he wants to use it to, you know. He's also trying to find out if it's bullshit or not. Right. At, yes, exactly. Because they go to a high extent to make sure that they like taking, he likes taking pride in exposing people I think that he they're says not. I'm a man who like doesn't like to be fooled he, or something it, like that. It's almost I I took it as it's almost implied that he seeks these people out and when they fail his like tests or whatever he wants to do he to exposes them, them he might I mean or you think maybe he kills them I don't yeah, know who like, knows it's, it's a big he, he's, he's such a mysterious character which I honestly think worked very well like I think maybe if they would have given a lot more of it you know I don't know I like that we didn't get a whole big reveal for and him. he he does have he the power dynamic is there because he has like his bodyguard and his bodyguard tells him like I'm ready to defend this man like I'll kill you over Do you this have man. the bodyguard's name yeah his his name was Anderson and he's played by a Holt McCallany, McCallany, the dude, yeah. uh, he's a <laughs> you know Bill, from Bill from Mindhunter. The, yeah. He's an animal, too. I love him. I told you guys uh, that if they ever made a good uh, Ghost in the Shell, like a live one, that guy would play the, uh, what's, I don't know the character's name, but it's like a Matoko's partner, and he wears the glasses. The dude with the glasses and I'm like, that guy, hair. perfect for him, yeah. like perfect casting. He's got a great voice. Yeah, I've he always does. really liked his voice. He does, he does have a good voice. Yeah, and he, he is a powerful presence as well when he's on screen. Yeah, mm-hmm. he is. Yeah, I feel like everybody but Rooney Mara got a fair shake in this movie. I know. I but know. I think it has to do with the story overall. And, like, even talking about it now, I'm kind of like, maybe they kind of leave her in the weeds because to emphasize Kate Blanche's character. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't know, it makes so. sense. It makes sense. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, do I was th- There's uh, one more character I wanted to bring up. Who do you want to bring I feel up? Like I wanted to, just because the stepbrothers reunion. I wanted to bring up uh, Mary oh. Steenbergen. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but the like, two parents for stepbrothers are in this movie. <laughs> yeah. The scene, the scene that she's in, I really that that's like when you, you talked about because you were sitting in between me and Nate, like that. That's you saw both of us jump out of our like seat, Get like sandwiched oh, by the mic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the whole audience went, "Oh fuck!" Yeah, that's <laughs> I know. The, <laughs> I felt like two hands on me. What the fuck happened? <laughs> that's when the movie took like a turn of uh, when GDT likes to mix his genres. We're getting we're getting a drama so far. We're getting. This noir. He has these crazy, just like adrenaline shots of violence in his movies. Mm -hmm. And I won't get into what this one is. Yeah. But like in The Shape of Water, when uh, Michael Shannon shoots, is it Michael Stuhlberg? Are they both named Michael? Anyways, when he shoots that character in the face and he's dragging him through the rain by the gash in his face. (sighs) Fucking Or like in uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Is it the scene when he cuts himself with the razor? Yep. Yeah, like he just has these shots. It's like. 
wake up. Yeah. Like, it's like, were you bored? Because you're not yeah. now. Because, like, the way that I'm taking this movie, it's like, it starts off slow. It's like you're going, like, 20 miles an hour, and then it kind of picks up, picks up, picks up, and by the time that the scene that we're talking about, you're going 120 miles an hour. Like, yeah. that shit is flying. Uh, I did think the movie, not, not that it dragged. It did feel its runtime. I will say that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But That's I thought the second half was just like an adrenaline shot compared to the first. It was. I, I think the second, the, the middle act, so the se- I think the first act is good. Mm-hmm. It does all the world building. It's it's necessary. I felt like the second act, especially with like the love story and all that. Uh, that's, that's why I feel like maybe if they would have explored it a little more, maybe it would have been better because I did feel that the second act dragged a little bit. Yeah, it may have uh, been too even, cliche. I though. wouldn't even say maybe drag, but it just it wasn't the rest of the film, I guess. It was dragon ass compared to the other two yeah. acts. That's for sure. Yeah. But it it ends very strongly and it's definitely satisfying. Mm-hmm. So and when that third act when that third act hits, you're like, okay, I'm white knuckled, I'm leaning up, like what's gonna happen next? Dude, and just the finale, like I mean, I won't say anything about, you know, the last the last scene, but by the time that that the last couple minutes happened, I'm just like, my mouth was wide open. I was like, oh, the ending was shit. cathartic. It, it was. was. Like, <sighs> it was like one last big breath of like, this was a good time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really was. Um, you guys want to get back into the set design? Yeah. Because I know that. you had the point about her office. So do you remember what you were going to say? I was just going to say that I really liked it. Um, I thought it was really cool. And just the, uh, just like, there's a part like where she has this big recorder and it kind of pops out of the wall. I tr- it was Hidden. just so cool. It, it, She's so mysterious that she even has trap doors in her office. She, she has all like she has buttons under all these different um like chairs and tables to start a recording and like I don't know. You can just tell that it's a small detail, but my favorite piece of set design is the the chair and the ashtray. That's a cool ashtray, yes, right? It was, it was like a that. tall stand and That's it was cool. it was weighted, almost like our microphone stands. Mm-hmm. And then it had like a beautiful like bowl piece on top. I was like, "Ooh, I, I need that. I need, I that. need that." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah it was so cool. And even the couch, like her therapist couch, um, I really like that. But just well. like like so what you were talking about earlier, like you know how you said when um you had the scene where they first meet um, mm-hmm. Bradley Cooper and um Kate Blanchett and he's kind of pacing around the room. And then when you go into her office and he's sitting down and mm. she's kind of taking command of the room and pacing around him and sizing him up. This is my like, cage. You, she, you're in her layer. You know what I mean? And I don't know. I just thought it was so good. Uh, and then one thing I want to say about the office, because I don't want to forget to say it, is uh, he said a lot of the buildings are like he wanted all the interiors to feel like they are alleys as well. Makes and sense. like that's why her office is like so, so like so deep as it is. Mm. And like it's it's just like a. Long, it's very narrow. Yeah. yeah, very narrow, but long like an alley. And there's a lot of other shots in the movie where he wanted the interiors to feel like that. Like you're staring down this long and, nightmare alley. <laughs> and like half of half of her office is windows to the outside, which is, you know, like oh, an alley. There's, and they're so gorgeous at night, I too. Know, like the snow. Yeah. Um, what I feel like I've noticed in the past uh, with Guillermo del Toro's movies is that there's a certain color of like this blue green that he really likes to use. And I think, the you know, which one is it? It's an Alfred Hitchcock movie with Cary Grant, To Catch a Thief, I believe, where it's a, I, I'm, I gotta think that that's where he got that color from, because it's like this greenish it. blue. Yeah. Okay. Very oceany, almost like yeah. the, like a sea foam or something like that, but. He uses that color a lot in The Shape yeah, of Water. Yeah, yeah, and he really used he it, yeah, of course, because it fits so perfectly. Like even the, the machines, the, the color of the machines where they're working at is that color. Yeah, exactly. Right. The, the car, right? Mm-hmm. It's not blue. It's green. And then he had like, the, <laughs> or it's like he had a specific uh, color for the car. Remember? He even said what it was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah because the salesman had told him. Mm-hmm. No, you're yeah. right. Um, so I just thought her office was beautiful. I thought the set design was obviously gorgeous. 
there's no wasted screen space in this movie. That's no, for sure. There's really not. Um, another interesting thing I had learned from him, and it's just more of his like homages to Hitchcock, is that the opening shot of the carnival is open to the one on strange is uh, almost shot for shot to the one on uh, in Strangers on a Train. Okay, because that movie starts with the carnival. That's true. I have not it, seen Strangers like a, on a Train. <laughs> mysterious noir aspect to it in the beginning. It's cool. Uh, yeah, I just thought that was really cool. Uh, just regarding the set design, I was going to talk about stuff that I fa- found out. So he likes getting his stuff off eBay. <laughs> so, like, he literally will start looking the at chat, just, like, whatever yeah, they have on eBay. Like, a lot of the, st- the stuff that's, like, on there, like, I think the ashtray. Is it, like, vintage Americana, like, Because they ask, it's funny, cause this, this is an interview did with Jimmy Kimmel, because Jimmy was asking him, like, like what do you tell? Like what's your search? Like what what do you, what do you look up? He's like, well, it just depends what I'm looking for. Like, if I'm looking pickle for like babies. pickle pickle yeah. like, like a pickle jar, like I'll look at that and then I'll find something like vintagey for for cheap, you know. And um, I I think there's that's why there's so many little things like that ashtray might simply be something that somebody had, you know. Yeah, like a at an estate sale or something. They don't, yeah, yeah, they don't. like it. He's like the director's version of a, a thrifter. Mm-hmm. Exactly. American pickers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. The other thing I wanted to comment on that I really like about this movie because being biased to noirs, like I said, so there's a lot of scenes like when Kate Blanchett gets introduced, we get the spotlight on her, mm-hmm. and like you get the spotlight from behind. So when you record it from the front, it looks like there's an aura behind you, there's a glow, and like, you're standing out in this in this scene, and that's how they used to do it in noirs. It's very like vintage classic hollywood to light things that way mm-hmm. i really really enjoy that and then i think we talked about off camera like how much they smoke and that's oh, yeah, what yeah, of course yeah. and like you gotta have smokes yeah got I like almost every scene he's like lighting up a cigarette they went full uh benedict cumberbatch with the cigarettes in this movie <laughs> yeah huh. surprisingly no tobacco poisoning on this set not that i know of weird how you could still make a good movie and you don't have to poison yourself crazy try acting my boy you can make a good movie <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know what's funny is that, you know how we talked about how we, like, we're in the minority on Power of the Dog, Mm -hmm. is that, I'm sure you might have seen this, is, uh, Ro, since you were doing so much research, is that he just did an interview with Jane Campion talking about how much he loved her movie. Really? Yeah. "Ah, I guess I'm wrong. Yeah, like, everybody (laughs) likes it, but hey, that's cool. Whatever. Teach their own. I don't mind being wrong on that one. teach their own. Whatever. But, uh, yeah, the other thing I wanted to mention is, uh, it was about the set designs. Oh, it was something you guys had just brought up. What were you guys just talking about? I was talking about it being eBayed. Um, oh, you know what it is? It doesn't have anything to do with the movie. Have you guys ever seen his like special house that he has? It's just full oh, of a bunch of collectibles. Yeah. I have not seen that. Like suits of armor, like the like big Frankenstein heads. That's like, badass. Just uh, a whole like he has like a secret compartment like where you open it up and you walk into a giant library that's just filled with a bunch of books that's and manga awesome. and. He collects figures. That's so cool. Yeah, and he's he uh, he's given people access to the house before for like tours and stuff like that. And it's just like he says it's it's his mind in a in a house. That's sick. It's like his little museum. And like that's why he has like so many compartments and trap doors because it's like an analogy for his mind. That's you so know, cool. like oh, you might go down this little compartment and it's 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 manga and anime like Pacific Rim, or you go down this one and it's comic books like Hellboy. You know, hey GDT, you should uh you should let us cruise. you should invite the Grand we'll, Cinema. We'll, we'll interview you there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come I mean, on. hey, I'm a fellow Mexican. If that helps, <laughs> he said he. They asked him what he did with the baby. He's like, it's it's in my house. I see it every day. <laughs> 
creeper. Yeah. <laughs> creeper. Yeah, yeah. You, know, he, you know, he said he said he sits and watches movies, and it's right next to like a big giant statue of Reagan from The Exorcist. Oh my god! Like, yeah, that's the he, kind of. He's sick. Like, Are you a sicko? <laughs> <laughs> he has this. He has this cool little thing that I learned from him today too. It doesn't have really much to do with what we're talking about, but just in terms of how much he loves just movies. And American culture, because he's Mexican, they talked about, like, how many sitcoms did you get in Mexico that were American? He's like, not much. He's like, but we used to watch Columbo a lot. Columbo. But then he goes, like, he's like, we used to visit Europe with my family every once in a while. He's like, and I remember one time we were, I think he said somewhere in North Europe, and they were, like, locked in in this beautiful plot. And he's like, we watched Columbo the whole time. Oh he's like, oh, we can, he's like, we can go look at this beautiful scenery. He's like, no, let's just watch Columbo. And that just, like, shows his Powerful love. stuff. Yeah, yeah his, his <laughs> love for, like, you know, nostalgia that he has for things or how much visuals, movies, shows mean to him. And that's I think that's why he's really good at his craft. Awesome. I love him, man. I really do. I did want to bring this up. His cinematographer is Dan Lauston, who worked with him on The Shape of Water and Crimson Peak. Hey, I'm looking at IMDb. You will not believe what he worked on. It's extraordinary the League. League of Extraordinary you know? Gentlemen. Why does movie keep coming up? Gas. No. <laughs> <laughs> Let me revisit that before I'm willing to say that. Yeah, like but, I, uh, see that again. I really love that movie as a kid. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, yeah, so they have a nice like. That's probably where the some of the beauty comes from. Obviously, it comes from the cinematographer as well and Guillermo del Toro. But that working relationship they have, th- those last three movies looking just so pristine and perfect. Got to give some shout outs to Dan Lauston. Yeah, so, dude. It just, big it, shout out to him. You can tell they're really on the That's same a combination page. too that I want to bring up of the cinematographer and set design. There's a lot of circles in this movie. And I think that's also plays of the part what basically ends up happening with the movie. It's a full circle of what we get with the character. He, you know, I, I just little things that obviously they had to discuss. There's a, like, so I this story find is very, details. Cyclical? Yes, yeah, I believe that's the right word, yeah, right? Cyclical. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, the whole circle theme is something that really plays out it, in this I week. kept thinking, uh, at the end of the movie, I just kept thinking about True Detective Season 1. He's like, time is a flat circle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was it, I think I mentioned it to you when we were riding in the car about uh, this movie being like the anti-hero's yep. journey instead of the hero's mm-hmm. journey because it, it literally hits every mark. And what mm-hmm. I like about this movie is you, you have a lot more bad people than you do have good. Like, there really is no... You know, no, nah, there's not necessarily a good person. There's no in this like movie. protagonist. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. So it was really cool. I do have a quote I wanted to bring up. Let me see. I think I have it here. Okay, so it's Guillermo del Toro on noir, right? Noir isn't about Venetian blinds and a husky voiceover and a dimly lit street. It's not about a dame smoking under a spinning fan. Those are cliches. Those are the Coca-Cola commercials of noir. What I understand to be noir is the real grittiness that comes out of American realism. Those films that channel the same spirit as George Bellows or Edward Hopper or Thomas Hart Benton. It's poetry of disillusionment and existentialism. The tragedy that emerges between the haves and the have-nots. And the have-nots are trying to breach their ambition through violence and ultimately worshipping a hollow god, which is money. So therefore, it's literally an exploration of the flip side of the American dream. Yes. And I, he's got to be, him, or Guillermo del Toro and Quentin Tarantino are my two favorite directors to listen listen to about movies. Like, Quentin Tarantino made me fall in love with movies in a different mm-hmm. way, but the way Guillermo del Toro, like, the poetic way that he talks about movies, you can't help but, like, just love him, you yeah. know? You would never question that English is his second language. Yeah. The way he, that he talks about yeah, movies. Yeah, I, I get you on that. 
he just you can feel his love for movies, which is what I yeah. really like out of a director because someone not to throw shots here, not to for Ridley Scott to catch a stray, but <laughs> I feel oppositely about how Ridley Scott goes about his movies. Like, it, it, yeah, we just do it and it's over. And, and if you and if you don't like it, fuck you. Yeah, fuck off. Yeah, him, I mean, and, <laughs> him and uh, Logan Roy, Logan right? Roy, with yeah. Scottish dudes, quick to tell you fuck off, right? No, it's like it's almost like I mean, I agree with you. It's like Ridley Scott's kind of like a pissed off old man, and Guillermo del Toro is like. Let me tell you why the I love that you really love, like you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. like I want to be taught a class by Guillermo del Toro. Right. You know what I mean? Like I, I would just listen to him talk about movies for hours, he, and I did that after Shape of Water. He is one hundred percent pure passion, and it shows in his movies. Like you can tell, he really fucking cares about what he's putting out. Yeah. Uh, earlier on the Grand Cinema Instagram, I had uh, posted a video of Quentin Tarantino in the '90s talking about like. If you really love movies and you're passionate about it, you don't got to know shit about cameras. You don't got to know shit about acting. It's a, You'll make a good movie if you're that in love with movies. And I feel that way about Guillermo del Toro. Not that he doesn't know what he's doing. Of course he does. Right. But that he can't help himself but to want to make a good movie. Exactly. This is his calling. Yeah. I, I really don't think he's really had any big misses, to be honest. Every- I mean, I, I haven't seen the first three, so I can't say. I would agree. But, like I haven't, like you said, haven't seen him. But everything that he's done, I've loved for different reasons. You yeah. know what I mean? And don't you dare call Pacific Rim a miss. It's not. <laughs> it's, it's not definitely a miss. not. It's definitely different than a lot of his other ones, but it's still super enjoyable. It's better than Transformers. Fuck like, yeah! And that's the only thing I could compare it to because giant robots punching. Yeah. I do right? feel robbed. They were never gonna get the. Oh, Pacific Rim mm. meets Godzilla the, versus Kong. Yep. Yeah, yeah I incredible. know. The Jaegers would whoop their ass. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, was it? Uh, it's like Gypsy Danger or something like that. That's yep. the one that, that, that <laughs> j- fucking Jack's yeah. pilots, right? Gypsy Danger. It's something like that, but... I think you're right. Oh, man, I That's fucking cool love that one. Name. We should talk about that one. I don't know. Hey, guys, you want to hear about a pod about uh, <laughs> Pacific Rim? <laughs> DM me. I might hit you on the side. The episode nobody asked for. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you need it. Yeah. Hey, you don't know you need any of these until that you That might hear be them. the underground level, level 001. We might have to hit you in the motel with that one. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh man, man! I had a really good time in this movie, as you can tell. My not my favorite part about this movie, but like my favorite part about us like talking about this movie and stuff was the day after um, we, we were at work, guests, and you got in the car at lunch with me, and you were like, "So, like, day after, how do you feel about that movie?" And I was like, "I fucking love that movie." You're like, "I did too," and I was like, "Yeah, dude, it really was just, it was so much fun. Like, this really is a movie that you can." You can bring anybody to, and it's it's a lot of fucking fun. Like I, don't I know. know, I've been thinking like I'm gonna tell like my mom to see this yeah. movie or something like, like that. Like is, I think you'll like this. this. Is I mean I I we have been we say this about some movies sometimes, but like this was a movie movie. Like yeah. you know what I mean? Like it really was. Yeah, definitely. And like we said, this is the year of the directors being like, I'm gonna make what I want to make mm-hmm. and what I miss seeing. So good Sh- on you. Shout out to you guys. Because yeah, uh, you had mentioned before how he said he made this movie because it's the type that they don't make anymore. Yeah. And by that it's like make a time period look very cinematic. That is not cinematic. It's very gritty and dirty. And it's heavy adult drama and expansive and detailed. Yeah. And that's what's classic about like noirs. I had some just, like closing thoughts too on um, I just wrote down like basically what the movie's about. Mm-hmm. And I'd written down, just like a classic noir, this movie comments about the now regarding the truth, lies, and understanding reality. This movie examines the personality of a man and how deep the range of good and bad we can be and truly who we are. The balance between being pragmatic and moral. The story pushes you to question human nature and what people will do for the pursuit of happiness. If they don't know themselves and don't understand the proper recipe of happiness, they can hurt a lot of people. Yeah. How low will you go for personal gain? 
That's the question this movie Low. asks. Low. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the question this, this movie, movie asks Low. and answers. Yeah. We know what some people would do for a million dollars. Inside jokes are the best here. The grand Cinema Hotel. You might have to sub to the Patreon to hear that yeah. one day. If we ever have a Patreon, I'll tell you that story. <laughs> That's so fucking funny. That'll be worth $5. I won't match it yeah. too. I don't even care. <laughs> you wouldn't? <laughs> oh, man. He's going to take that one to his grave, oh isn't he? Oh, my God. It's me on my tombstone. <laughs> oh, man. Holy shit. I think shit. it's time to start wrapping it yeah, up. Yeah, I think yeah. so, too, man. I, uh, the last thing I will say is that... I th- okay, so I thought it was a little slow in the beginning, but I thought it really picked up. And I think the ending just puts a little bow on top of this movie, mm-hmm. right? And I think it's such a satisfying ending, and that's really how I felt walking out of it. It was just like, <sighs> good time. Mm-hmm. I had a good time. And that's, what, I mean, like I tell you guys, my ratings are more off of feelings than any other technical bullshit about a movie. But And I felt I felt good. I mean, not his best, because I think that's Pan's Labyrinth. His best shape is, of water. like, amazing. Yeah. Like, it's up there with some of the best better yeah, movies definitely. of all time. But I just think we've fallen in love with, like, his best is his marquee trademark monsters. And because we don't, same thing, we don't get that anymore. We he don't glorify get, something that normally isn't. We don't get monsters of the Blue Lagoon anymore. And, like, that's what, like, that's Shape of Water. That's what it is. It's it's that. It's, it's, it's that monster that has a deeper meaning than something that old. The reviewer I was talking about, Adam Naiman, he said that uh, Guillermo del Toro makes A movies out of B movie material. That's fact. Exactly. Yeah. That's a perfect way to describe he it. He takes things that shouldn't be good or are just like schlock or camp or, you know, whatever. Insert word here. And then he makes it like something beautiful. Yeah. And that's, that's like, just like, that's really what he does more than anybody else, I think, is he makes things beautiful. And it's just crazy. I mean, he pumps so much emotion to his movies. It's 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 impressive. Because of what Gus was saying, like, he just loves movies. He can't help but make a good movie. And I think that's the same thing you compared them, QT and him, have, have in comparison. They like these movies that people think are terrible <laughs> or that the concepts are just too small. And then they know how to turn them into a good movie. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think my closing thoughts on this movie are, I mean... I think anybody would enjoy this movie. This is a great one to go take anybody to. Um, people that are like cinephiles and that really dive deep into movies, I think you're going to find a lot that you love. And for people that just want to have a go, have a good time and see something, you know, entertaining, great movie to, for that too. So Definitely. I think this has a little bit for everybody. Um, highly recommend you go see it while it's in theaters. It was it was really fun on the big screen. Yeah, this is a good one to see. So yeah. One last thing I want to say is that it's a love letter to movies, and I feel like all of his movies. Perfect. That's what he does. Mm-hmm. Beauty, and it's a love letter to cinema. I love it. Um, yeah. what do you guys rate this movie? The more I talk about, ah, damn, I had put it down as a four out of five. The more I talk about it, I think this movie. You asked me a year from now, it might be in my favorite movies. I the more I talk about it, the more I see it, the more unique you, it is to me. I'm gonna go see it again. I'm gonna take my wife because <laughs> she loves Guillermo del Toro. Right? She doesn't know directors the way I do. Obviously, mm. she just you know she knows who Quentin Tarantino is. She knows who Paul Thomas Anderson is mostly because I can't shut up about it. <laughs> but Guillermo del Toro is her guy. If I I guarantee you, if I go in the other room she, on any given day, she might be watching. Shape of Water or Pan's Labyrinth. Those are like her two favorite movies. So I'm going to take her to see this. And uh, I think my opinion will probably even get higher. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Dan Merle, what he had said about this movie was that the first time he watched it, it was a mystery. The second time he watched it, it was like watching a car crash in slow motion where you know what's going to happen. And you're like, no, (laughs) no. Yeah, yeah. But 
you're just a observer like, and you have to go that along sounds like for the a ride. great way to describe it honestly yeah so i give it a four out of five as well i love that yeah i'm gonna hit it with a four four pickled babies out of five four <laughs> pickled babies <laughs> out of five i love Jesus. that uh, <laughs> do we have a code word i think damn that should be the code pickle word. Babies. pickled babies like pickled babies yeah, okay <laughs> oh man so dm us pickled babies at the grand cinema hotel on instagram if you've made it this far into the episode we're gonna end up on a list yeah <laughs> jesus uh if you're listening to us on youtube like subscribe comment goes a long way we love all the support we've been getting and uh thanks for checking in we're checking out bye hey happy bye. holidays bye guys